So we have been in, <laughs> I was going to say John, but you're, you think we've been in John 14 for about a year, but um, we're going to get out of John 14 today, okay? And um, let me kind of set up before I read the scripture. Um, it's at the Last Supper, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And Jesus has just announced to his apostles that he's leaving them, and they can't come with. And they're, they're thrown into a panic. So now he talks about peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk, with, uh, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. And, and that last little part is probably where they get up and leave the upper room and, and go by the southern steps of the temple and cross the Kidron Valley and go to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. So, peace. If we were to take a, a microphone and pass it around, and we said, so what are you worried about this morning? We'd probably be here till sunset, right? If you have nothing to worry about, just want to remind you, today's January 15th, quarterly taxes are due. <laughs> but I think, we, I think we get till Tuesday, okay, to pay those, right? But, but I think there's plenty of things that we would say we are worried about. You know, Jesus said to Martha, 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 you're anxious and troubled about many things, now, if you ask the apostles, what are you guys worried about? They would say, what do you mean, Jesus? You just told us, after three years of following you, of sacrificing everything, and we're ready for, for the kingdom of God to be brought in, and now you tell us you're leaving? We don't know what to do. We're clueless without you. Of course we're anxious and upset about many things. And Jesus says... Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Right? So we want to talk about the peace of God that is available to every one of you who's a believer. Okay? Now, to understand the peace of God for your specific problem, I think we need to step back and get a big picture, kind of a theology of peace, 
Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this into to five points. First, we want to look at uh, the objective. When I say objective, I, I don't mean how do we deal with the anxiety that I have over this specific issue. We, we want to look at the, the objective, not the, not the feeling of peace, but the reality of peace, the objective peace we have with God. Then we'll apply it to subjective peace, how to feel that peace. And then we're going to talk about speaking peace to ourselves. Then selfless. Where does selfishness and selflessness come in to experiencing peace? And then sovereign peace, reminding ourselves that God is truly in control of even the worst situation. All right, so let's, let's take a look at objective peace. You know, we, we can't have true peace ultimate peace until we are at peace with the most powerful person in our realm, okay? Whether we know we're at peace with the most powerful person or not, that puts everything else in perspective. If if we are at peace with the most powerful person in our realm, then all the smaller anxieties seem to fall in place. If we're not at peace with the most powerful person, then we may think things are going smoothly, but we're in trouble, right? I'll tell you a story. Um, many, many moons ago, when Elizabeth and I were, we were living in Appleton, Wisconsin, and we had three little kids and we were going to take them to Disney. So drive from Wisconsin all the way down to Orlando. And uh, the plan, and so, we, so we had this brown van with the, the wood paneling on the sides. You remember those? And we strapped the kids into their, their car seats. And we had a big dog, big golden retriever. And um, I think I had a Hawaiian shirt on. I mean, it was just a picture of family guy, right? And just driving down. And we were going to drop the dog off. My, my dad was the president of a company in Hinsdale. So we were going to hop off of 294, drop the dog off, and head down to Orlando. Okay? So uh, we pull into my dad's, uh, it's a factory office thing in Hinsdale. And I open the sliding door, the kids go piling out, and the dog runs over into the grass and does his business. Okay? And um, there was a, a worker at the factory, a little short guy, kind of round, and he wanted, he wanted to give me trouble. He didn't know who I was from the man on the moon. He goes, hey, what do you think you're doing here? You can't just let your dog go on the lawn. And he's reading me the business. And a um, little evil smirk came over my, my, my mind here. And I said, I'm so sorry about the dog, you know. And um, I said, hey, do you know a guy named Larry Smith? He said, oh, yeah, he's the boss. Um, I go, well, I'm his son, and this is his grand dog. <laughs> and, uh, oh, boy, he loves this dog. He's going to take care of this dog for a week. You... <laughs> That little guy who was yelling at me, he like, you should have seen him do an about face. Oh, 
I love Larry Smith. He's a great guy. He's my boss. And that is a beautiful dog. Beautiful dog, you know. (laughs) So when you're at peace with the most important person in the room, the little anxieties kind of fall in place, right? Now, on the other hand, Let's say you go to work and you get along great with everybody. You go out to lunch, you tell jokes, you, tell, you just have a great relationship and you're at peace. But let's say the boss can't stand you and you're going to be fired. It's great that you get along in these little relationships. But there's a trouble a-brewing if you're, if, if you're not in a good relationship with the most important person. Now, who's the most important person in the room, in the universe? It's God. So here's, here's my question. Are you at peace with God? And I don't mean do you feel at peace with him, because I think most people walking around will go, yeah, I leave him alone, he leaves me alone, yeah, I'm at peace. But wait a minute, if you've been coming to a church like this, you know that God is a holy God and we are sinners. And we're not at peace if, if, if we haven't come to Christ. Right? So if you have come to Christ, though, this has to be the sweetest verse. Therefore, since we have been justified, and that means declared right, right, declared by God that you are right, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, this concept that is explained in this verse is really the controversy that sparked the Protestant Reformation, and it's still the difference between Catholic and Protestant. And I I don't bring this up to be contentious. I I bring it up to illustrate the beauty of the gospel. Rome believes that justification, being declared right, is a process. Starts at infant baptism, and uh, you get more justified as you go through the sacraments, and you can lose your justification and go to hell, and you are not finally, ultimately declared just until you are made perfect, not just in this life, but you have to go through purgatory. Protestants believe the minute, the moment you trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and Christ's righteousness is given as a gift to you. It's not a process. It's a done deal. Okay? Now, two questions. One, which of those two systems can bring peace? I I don't... I I can't have peace with God if I think I can drop the ball and go to hell. And if I'm on a treadmill of being justified. What if I, I I mean, I don't have peace. But if it's a done deal, I can have peace. Now, what does the verse say? Therefore, since we have been, all right, so that's past tense. In the Greek, it's an aorist 
aorist tense. It's a done deal. Therefore, since we possess justification, we are declared just we, uh, by faith. We have peace. That's a present tense. Have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you understand that and you rest in that, you are at peace with the most important person in the universe. And all the rest is small change. Okay? Now, now that you understand the objective peace, let's talk about the subjective peace. Okay? So subjective means, okay, objective means you, the war is over between you and God. Subjective peace means I can now feel and apply peace to my situation. Now, the cross of Christ is the basis for our objective peace with God, but it's also the basis for our subjective peace with God. You, you say, how so? Well, let's take a look at another verse in Romans. You almost think I taught Romans or something, right? What then shall we say to these things? What things? Well, up to this point, he's covered this whole thing, that we're sinners, that Christ died for us, he rose from the dead, we, we are, are justified by faith alone. What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? What, what, this, is, what this is saying is, God is for you. I don't know, I, I, I struggled for a long time. I, I knew this verse, but I kind of believed God was like an angry football coach. Yeah, you did all right, but you better do better next time. Okay, I, I had a yeller football coach in high school. Smitty, what are you thinking? All right. Um, he is for you. He is on your side. Okay, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. There's the gospel. There's the cross. Now, he's going to give you an argument from the greater to the lesser. The greater is, if he died for you, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What are the all things? Everything you need to live the Christian life, including peace. Okay? And this comes right after Romans 8, 28, which says, He is working all things together for your good. So, put this, uh, put this all together. He's for me. He is sovereign and, and in control of everything. And he cares about every little detail, all things. He's for me, he's sovereign, he cares. He's for me, he's sovereign, he cares. That applies to whatever your worry is right now. He is, he, uh, he's for you, he's sovereign over that situation, and he really cares about that situation. Do you believe that? Okay. Um, I had a picture. This was 
from back in the day. This, I don't know where, where this roller coaster is, but um, <laughs> there's Elizabeth on a roller coaster. She's having a good time. This is my son, Caleb. He's got a little smirk. He's a little scared. This is a big, bald guy. That's me. And this... <laughs> It's Caitlin, <laughs> utterly terrified. Right? <laughs> I mean, it almost looks like child abuse, doesn't it? Like, she is utterly terrified. Now, um, what, what Elizabeth's attitude was, woo, let's ride this sucker out for all it's worth. Um, but we needed to, to talk to her. <laughs> And say, listen, it's just a ride. It's not really out of control. It feels out of control, but you're on a track. And it's, yep, there's some loop-de-loops and some spinny spins, but it's all locked in. It's just a ride. It's just a ride. Okay? Um, what's your worry? It's just a ride. It's not out of control. It may feel like it is. Either God is sovereign or he isn't. Either he cares for you or he doesn't. Either he's on your side or he isn't. Okay? Now, next is where speaking peace comes in. Okay? Jesus says, says this, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, he's going to remind them that he's in control. But the let is a command. Let. We do have some role in this, okay? What is our role in experiencing peace? Well, it's talking to ourselves. It's talking ourselves out of the fear back into the comfort that comes from believing God is in control, okay? Uh, some of the ladies are studying a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's called Spiritual Depression. That's a real uplifting book, right? Actually, it is. Okay. Uh, did you read about that book on anti-gravity? That one's really hard to put down. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a groaner, but you're going to repeat that. I know you are. Okay. So Martin Lloyd-Jones um, talks about the discipline of preaching at yourself. And he's commenting on Psalm 42 where the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? See, he's talking to himself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, this is what Jones says. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this, instead of allowing this self to talk, uh, of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. 
Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asked his he asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen a moment. I will speak to you. Okay? That's, that, that involves discipline. Rather than us wallowing, we go, wait a minute. I'm not going to let my thoughts drag me down. I am going to put myself in order, and remind myself it's only a ride. I remember going on other rides, and my, my older son, Caleb, I, I heard him whispering under his breath, it's only a ride, it's only a ride, it's only a ride. <laughs> That's the solution He's for me, he's sovereign, he cares. He's for me, he's sovereign, he cares. He's for me, he's sovereign, he cares. Okay, talk to yourself. Now, let's move on and talk about another one. Selfless peace. So, Jesus says, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. He's going to come back from the dead, but then he's going to go away for a long time. Then he says this. Listen to this. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Now, just a, a quick note. When, when he talks about the Father being greater than him, we have to remember they're equal in essence. This is not a what do you call an ontological statement? He's not saying, I'm a lesser God. They're equal in essence. But in the role of sending and receiving Christ back, the Father is greater. And Jesus goes back to enjoying his full glory as God in this perfect loving relationship with his Father. Now, when I first read this, I thought, it kind of sounds like he's saying, hey, y'all, give your head a shake here. Quit being so self-absorbed. Have you taken a second to think about me? If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. And I thought, would he really do that in the midst of their depression? Would he really say, hey, quit being so self-absorbed? Maybe I'm misreading it. So I did a little study on it. And um, D.A. Carson writes this. In short, Jesus in this verse consoles his disciples but rebukes their self-interest. He does something more. He rebukes the shallowness of their self-interest. Every reader of John's gospel knows that the disciples' real self-interest lies in the one thing they devoutly wish to avoid, Jesus' departure. By his going away, Jesus accomplishes their redemption, becomes the way into the Father's presence, and bestows the Holy Spirit. All this they would miss if their immediate and shallow self-interest were heeded. 
Jesus really is saying, hey, a lot of your worry is because you're so self-absorbed. Give your head a shake and look at the big picture, not your narrow little myopic world. And that may seem harsh, but isn't, isn't a lot of our worry due to just myopic self-absorption? We were on an airplane recently with 300 of our closest friends. And no, nobody enjoys sitting there for four hours. Um, but you know who really doesn't enjoy it? The baby three seats up. Especially when the, you know, the air pressure in the ears and they start crying. But the difference between the baby, all the baby knows is my ears hurt. I don't know what, where we are or what, what, what this, it just it hurts. But the grown-ups on the plane, we go, this is inconvenient and my ears hurt too. And that, that guy's taking up space in my seat, right? But we're able to endure the smaller discomfort because we have the big picture in mind. If we weren't on the plane and we were traveling by covered wagon, this would take months. So four hours is not that big a deal because we're adults, not babies. Jesus is saying... Stop being so self-absorbed for just a moment. Step back and try to see it's not all about you. Can you see that God may be up to something bigger than the discomfort you're experiencing right now? Is that helpful? All right, last thing. Sovereign peace. He says, and now I've told you before it takes place so that, it, that when it does take place, you may believe. I'm, I'm telling you, and, and, and by the way, he has told them several times, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. We're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And they didn't have ears to hear it because they had a different agenda. Their agenda was, we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to form an army and bring in the kingdom of God. So they, they couldn't hear this. And he says, you know, you're going to think back and you're going to remember, I told you all this was going to happen. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. Who's that? Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. That, now, if, if he stopped right there, I think they would go, oh, Satan. And then Jesus almost sounding like with bravado, says, he has no claim on me. He has no claim on me. What's that that song? Can't touch this. (laughs) You can't touch me. But I do as the Father has commanded me. Yeah, Satan's involved, but really what this is is me... Obeying the Father, so that the world may know I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Okay. When, when all that's going to take place, takes place, and it feels like everything is spinning out of control, think back and remember, 
I told you this was all going to happen. And I told you there's a good purpose behind it all. So when it hits you, you don't lose your faith. In fact, it strengthens your faith. Okay? He is, he is bringing up the sovereignty of God. Remind yourself in the middle of the blood and the guts and Satan attacking that even this was predicted and it's under God's control. Right? He has no claim on me. Let me just remind you, we do have an enemy, Satan, and there is a demonic realm and they love messing with us. They love stealing our peace. But let's just remember that even Satan is under the sovereign control of God. Remember when Satan attacked Job, he needed permission from God. He says, have you not put a hedge around him? You know, Satan is telling God, well, the reason he loves you is you've pampered him. And Satan says, you know, if, if I could attack him, he wouldn't be faithful to you. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. Satan needed permission to do what he wanted to do. And God puts a limit on it. The next time he says, all right, go ahead and attack him personally. Okay. Now, you, you may go, well, that's not comforting. Yes, it is. Even the attacks of Satan are under the authoritative sovereign control of God. Right? Revelation 20.12, Satan is thrown down to earth. And people debate, well, did that take place? At the cross, is this yet a future thing? What, what, let's not worry about when this happened, but look at what it says. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So, do you, do you feel the wrath of Satan these days? Seems to be pretty intense. And... You know, football analogy. When, when do fights break out in football games? Usually, fourth quarter, the one team knows they're going to lose, and they're angry. And that's when they, they, they just lose all restraint, and that's what Satan is doing. His wrath is coming, but he knows that his time is short. Even he knows he's ultimately defeated. Right? Jesus casts out demons. And here's a case in Luke 8. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? So there's one man, but he's possessed by many demons. And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Do you know that even the demons and Satan know that they will eventually be thrown into hell for eternity? We win. 
God is sovereign. Right? Objectively, the cross puts you at peace with God. The cross reminds us that if he would do that, he will work all things together for your good. We are to speak peace to one another and to ourselves. Sometimes we need to not be so myopic and step back and go, maybe God's up to something more than just my feelings right here. And remind yourselves that, that God is sovereign. Even in the most hopeless situation, like Jesus being nailed to a cross, that is not out of God's control. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for these reminders. I pray for those who have burdens, worries, anxieties. Lord, lift, lift our minds and our hearts to things above. Remind us that you care. Remind us that you are in control. Remind us that you care about every detail and allow us to trust in you, your goodness, your sovereignty, your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.